From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week via Skype are VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Cindy and Steve. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Well, here are the issues. Ukraine pleaded for the West to finally send it heavy tanks as the defense chiefs of the U.S. and Germany headed for a showdown over weapons Kyiv says could decide the fate of the war. Ukrainian officials say a helicopter crash near a kindergarten in the Kyiv region has killed at least 14 people, including the leadership team of Ukraine's interior ministry who were traveling on the aircraft. In a written statement, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky called the crash a terrible tragedy, adding that he has ordered the Ukrainian security services to find out all the circumstances. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken reiterated that the fastest way to end Russia's war on Ukraine is to, quote, give Ukraine a strong hand on the battlefield, unquote, which is what the U.S. is doing, he said. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen began a three-nation tour of Africa to Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa. Yellen's aim is to highlight the White House effort to deepen U.S.-Africa economic ties. Her trip comes as the U.S. tries to counter China's growing influence on the continent. The annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, brought lawmakers and business leaders from around the world together. The only group of seven leader present is Chancellor Olaf Scholz of Germany. The biggest threat the U.S. economy faces this year could be the fight over the federal debt limit. Congress and the White House have roughly six months to avoid an unprecedented and potentially catastrophic default on the federal debt. But there is no clear path to keeping the U.S. solvent, with House Republicans fiercely opposed to any debt ceiling increase unaccompanied by serious spending cuts. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, Cindy, Ukraine pleaded for the West to finally send it heavy tanks as defense chiefs of the U.S. and Germany are headed for a showdown. So can you tell us more about this? Right, Kim. This has been very interesting with the tanks, and sort of what got this whole thing rolling is that the United Kingdom announced that it is sending tanks, its Challenger tanks, to Ukraine as the first country to do so, sort of creating a problem for the U.S. and Germany and others with Ukrainian President Zelensky after this grueling, horrible week that they've had in Ukraine with first Dnipro missile shelling, killing 45 people, and then the helicopter crashing into a kindergarten, killing the interior minister and several other important security ministers. So Ukraine has been asking for these tanks, saying this is really a critical juncture in the war. And Germany has a brand new defense minister after the previous one resigned, Pistorius, and he is meeting with U.S. Defense Secretary Austin. And the German press and some others are reporting that basically German Chancellor Schultz has said Germany will provide its Leopard tanks to Ukraine if the U.S. does first. This has not been said out and out publicly, but, you know, more and more outlets are reporting this. And so that, again, puts the spotlight on the U.S. And it's a bit of a catch-22 because if it's true that Germany is saying it will send tanks only if the U.S. does – 
And then Poland and Finland say they will send their tanks, which are basically German tanks, but they can't do that unless Germany approves it. So, you know, Ukraine is waiting for these tanks. And what we're hearing from our reporter at the Pentagon and others is that the U.S. seems not inclined yet, wants to send uh, perhaps the striker armored vehicle, but we are not hearing. We're waiting to see if there's a shift in that that the U.S. is not prepared to send tanks. So that issue is really, really in the spotlight now. The basic decision is whether or not the U.S., Germany, and the other allies will send the tanks, which are offensive vehicles, offensive armaments. The tanks, the Leopard and the Abrams tank, the top of the line U.S. battle tank are offensive weapons, defensive weapons as well. But for the most part, they are intended to prosecute a war. Does the U.S., does Germany, does the rest of this alliance want to be put into a position to provide those kind of weapons to the Ukrainians? The U.S. has been in this position earlier as far as what kind of air defense weaponry, whether to send planes or not. That was a major issue of whether to send fighter planes to Ukraine to prosecute the war. It's really about whether or not the U.S. and Germany and the other allies How do they want to be perceived in this war? Do they want to be perceived as helping Ukraine defend itself or being part of an attack on Russia and Russian-held areas? So that's really the debate. The U.S. is going to send about 100 striker armored vehicles and 50 Bradley armored vehicles to Ukraine. Those are reportedly in the plans, but those are not necessarily offensive vehicles. They're used to safely carry troops to the front line. The Bradleys do have a little bit of anti-tank capabilities where they can try and blow up other tanks, but they're not necessarily seen as offensive weapons. And as a result, that's kind of the quandary that this alliance is in right now, how to best help Ukraine to defend itself or to push it so that it can repel the Russians back across the border. Yes, those are some really good points. And also U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he reiterated that the fastest way to end Russia's war on Ukraine is to, and his quote, is to give Ukraine a strong hand on the battlefield. However, this is met with some criticism here in the U.S. from some lawmakers who say that the U.S. is spending too much on the war in Ukraine and should be focused on problems here. That certainly is going to be an issue, especially the new House of Representatives that just took office in the last couple of weeks. It is a Republican-led House. The leader, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, is on record saying he is not in favor of delivering a blank check to Ukraine. He has qualified those comments saying, yes, Ukraine needs help, but a blank check by the United States is questionable. And there are other Republicans who are saying, much the same as you said, Kim, Is this money that the United States is sending Ukraine better spent helping Americans here or helping Ukraine defend itself? The argument on the other side is by helping Ukraine, by helping them defend themselves and perhaps go on the offense, the United States and the other allies are protecting themselves from any other Russian aggression that may come after the Ukraine war. Yes, and I think the objections or the opposition to spending as this much money on Ukraine is mainly coming from House Republicans and less from the Senate. The Senate has a 
bit more to say about foreign policy and that. So that'll be an interesting dynamic to see how that works out. But the State Department is definitely doing its outreach and always says that we want to work with Congress. We want to keep Congress informed. And they had the new House Foreign Affairs Committee chair, McCall, over to spend the day at the State Department. So there's a lot of outreach going on. Deciding on what kind of arms to send Ukraine really also depends on how well the Ukrainians can be trained to use the armaments and use these tanks, especially the Abrams tank, which the U.S. has. It's the top of the line tank, but it takes a lot of fuel to get these tanks moving and a lot of training to operate them and to just send these tanks in without any kind of training. Many military officials feel it is not in the best interest to do that quite yet. Right now, about 100 Ukrainian soldiers are in the United States training to use the Patriot anti-missile defense system. And that training just started a few weeks ago, is expected to last until March or April. Yes, and before we move on to our next topic, Cindy, you brought up the tragedy that occurred in Ukraine with this helicopter crash. What more can you tell us about this tragic accident? Well, we're still really waiting for the facts to come in. The images are just heartbreaking of this helicopter hitting a kindergarten and 45 people killed, including children. President Zelensky has said we're still getting the facts on this. But he also said basically there are no accidents in war and that this would not have happened, you know, if Russia had not invaded Ukraine almost a year ago. Well, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen began a three-nation tour of Africa to Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa. Her visit comes a few weeks after the Africa-United States Summit in Washington, D.C. in December, when the White House announced investments of several billion dollars over the years to come. Well, with competition from China and Russia, how will the U.S. defend its position on the continent? Kim, I think this is a big and important move by Yellen spending a 10-day tour of three African democracies following just on the footsteps of China's new foreign minister. And basically, starting in Senegal, her message is that the U.S. is here to stay on the continent through good times and bad times. And we have seen a bit of a change from the Biden administration, from the previous Trump administration, putting more emphasis on Africa. We've had Secretary Blinken go to Africa now twice, and we're hearing that this Yellen visit is actually to help set up what we're hearing will be visits by both President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to the continent this year. Among the issues are U.S. is focused more on private investment and contrasting that with China, which has state-backed loans, which some African leaders have said, you know, now these are loans or it's hard to pay back the debt. These are exploitative, these China loans. So the U.S. is trying to contrast itself with China and Russia, which have both been making big, big business pushes on the continent. By sending Janet Yellen, the United States is signaling, sending its treasury secretary, its money person, that the United States is there to do business. And it's also playing catch up as China has, as Cindy said, flooded Africa with a lot of money, 
all based on loans that need to be paid back to China. Yellen's mission is to sell and emphasize private industry investment in Africa instead of these loans that have to be paid back. If the environment in Africa is conducive for American private industry to invest in there, then you will really reap the kind of benefits that you need to reap and it's sustainable rather than having to pay back loans. This kind of investment moves the economies of Africa forward and it's also selling the the democratic and the capitalistic system of economics and of government to these African nations. And in another aspect to this is Susan Page, former U.S. ambassador to South Sudan and professor at the University of Michigan, said, quote, I think the main objective will be to position themselves in relation to China. And she's talking about the U.S., which is a shame because African countries want to be considered for what they are, not as a battleground between great powers, unquote. And a similar comment was made by some of the African leaders during the summit here in December. So with this type of thinking, how is the U.S. going to overcome this? Right. Well, we have heard this from Secretary Blinken, who time and time again has said, of course, African countries, they can choose for themselves who they want to do business with. And we're not trying to present ourselves, you know, and to tell them you have to do business with us. But we're just trying to show what we have to offer and trying to work with African countries as a partnership, because the U.S. knows very well that it can also benefit. And the U.S. is very aware of the potential of all these young people and the potential for future markets in Africa. So I think that they are cognizant of that. But the fact is, it's a bit difficult because there is, of course, a competition going on between the U.S. and China and Russia. And we have Lavrov also heading to South Africa. Yes. So has Blinken indicated any type of concrete partnerships they expect to come out of this visit in terms of trade investments or even health care? I have not heard that. I know that uh, Janet Yellen in Zambia, one of the stops, will be focused on the debt crisis there. And I believe in South Africa, she'll visit a mine and she'll be focused on U.S. efforts to help them transition to cleaner energy. So we probably will see some concrete things coming out of this long visit. Certainly climate is at the top of Yellen's agenda and the U.S. agenda in Africa as is extracting the kind of minerals that Africa is rich with. It's one of the reasons China is very interested in getting a foothold in Africa, is to tap its mining industry. And about one third of the world's minerals that will be needed to energize and be the engine for economic movement going forward is going to be found in Africa by 2050. So it's a very important region, a very important part of the world for all of the manufacturing economies in order to tap its resources, both its human resources and its mineral resources. Well, it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, some highlights from the World Economic Forum. Well, Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com slash issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. 
then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Well, there was the World Economic Forum going on this week, and there seemed to be a low turnout of high-profile leaders this year. What do you all make of this? It seems like Russia's war with Ukraine may be the reason we're not seeing a large number of heads of state attending the forum. Deciding and figuring out how the rest of the world economy deals with Russia or doesn't deal with Russia is one of the overarching themes of the forum. It may not be on the official agenda, but without any Russian officials there, without any of the Russian oligarchs there because of sanctions, figuring out how to deal with energy issues and agriculture issues just general economic issues with Russia being put off to the side because of sanctions is one of the things that all of these world leaders and economic thinkers are trying to figure out. Yes, I would agree with Steve that Russians' invasion of Ukraine was the topic on people's mind. And as we're hearing, people were discussing in the hallways. And we had the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, delivering really kind of a gloomy message saying the world is in a sorry state pointing to challenges which are all linked, including Russia's war in Ukraine and climate change, widening inequality and cost of living crisis for many and ongoing supply chain issues. So I think that from what I'm hearing, one of the few bright spots was that India had a very strong presence and seemed to be sort of offering itself as an alternative to China. But as Kim said, you did have the German Chancellor Scholz speak and he announced Germany sending tanks or something new for Ukraine. And we just got a lot of the same old, same old. So many were disappointed by that speech. Yes. And he also said that Russia has failed to reach its goals in Ukraine and the invasion has made the West more resilient and accelerated the decarbonization of its economies. So would you say the U.S. agrees with the statement by Chancellor Schultz? Yes, I would say so. And to be honest, there is some palpable relief among European countries that things are not as bad this winter there as they had anticipated. People are not shivering in their homes. The energy costs are lower than they had feared. The alliance, despite differences over tanks or whatever, is very much holding and there is constant dialogue. And if Putin had hoped to divide the U.S. and Europe and Japan and other countries, that has not happened. That was one of the biggest bright spot that Schultz was able to point to is that Germany will come through the winter without any energy issues. And it seems Europe will follow suit, which also has a flip side to it, because the reason that it's warmer this year is because of climate change. So it's kind of a double edged sword that we're dealing with here. The World Economic Forum is one of those places where a lot of ideas and new thinking about how the economy moves forward takes place. And it's taking place under the cloud of climate change and the war and kind of wondering how much will come out of this World Economic Forum. Also, Ukraine's First Lady Olena Zelenska confirmed that she had delivered a letter to the Chinese delegation there in Switzerland, calling it an invitation to dialogue with Beijing. The letter was addressed to Chinese leader Xi and outlined Ukrainian President Zelensky's vision for peace in his country. So what do you all make of this gesture? 
kind of a smart move by Zelensky to try and make an end around Putin to at least start the dialogue with China, because there's a sense that China is disillusioned with the way Russia has prosecuted the war and lack of tangible success. It appears to be a move to try and get around Russia and make some headway with China directly by Ukraine. I would agree that she has been very effective. And her husband, President Zelensky, of course, was beamed in via video, but she was there and she really got news of the helicopter tragedy while she was there and just the grief and her face just basically said it all. So I think she's been very effective for her country. Well, in our last topic here in the U.S., the biggest threat the U.S. economy faces this year could be the fight over the federal debt limit. Well, the U.S. reached its legal borrowing capacity on Thursday. So, Steve, what does this mean for the U.S. government? There are two concepts at odds here. Number one is the actual construct of the debt ceiling. It's a congressional tool designed to put members on the record that they approve paying the debts tomorrow, that the members already agreed to create when they approved the budget. It's much more of a political tool than it is a constraint because the U.S. Constitution requires the country to pay its debts. The 14th Amendment, which was ratified more than 150 years ago, says the validity of the public debt shall not be questioned, which means the debt is here. The U.S. has to acknowledge it and pay it. I am also alarmed by this because we're hearing that new House Speaker, Republican Kevin McCarthy, we know that he promised radical members of his caucus all sorts of things. And we're hearing that he also promised that the debt ceiling would not be raised without significant cuts to government spending. And Steve made the most important point that this whole thing is about money that has already been spent, which previous Congress approved, whether it was under Democratic or Republican, it doesn't matter. To fight about how to spend your money is the upcoming budget appropriations. That would be the time to do this. So I am also very alarmed by this. It's a hostage holding type of act in order to get some sort of concessions by the other side. It's going to be a political kind of showdown and the opportunity for both sides to stand on its principles. But when push comes to shove, there's going to be a vote and it is likely that the debt ceiling will be raised because the Democrats in the House of Representatives will vote for it and not all of the Republicans will be against it. It's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. Cindy, what is weighing on your mind? Well, this may out me as a wonky nerd, but believe it or not, this debt ceiling issue is on my mind this week and possibly because I covered Congress for seven years and was around, as Steve was saying, about a decade ago when there was this fight which had me working all hours of the night and had the whole country really wondering because of politics and you know what many would call grandstanding, are you going to tank your own economy, which would hurt people's retirement savings and maybe leave retired people not getting their social security payments. It's just self-defeating behavior. And that just kind of makes me pull my hair out. Mine goes back to Congress as well. And it's more about shame. It seems that the age of shame is passing us by. And I point to the Republican Congressman George Santos, who admittedly says he exaggerated about his resume, but the exaggerations are now coming out that so many 
basic lies. There was a time in the United States where the shame would be large enough for Santos to have resigned or for the pressure to put on Santos to resign would come. But his shame and the shame his colleagues are seeing, we don't see that here in the political arena here in the United States anymore. The idea of political shame is disappearing as party identification and the hardening of political positions are taking hold in what seems to be a more polarized political atmosphere here in the United States, and I'm seeing it in the rest of the world. So I hope we can all keep a sense of shame within ourselves and understand that it's a way that society kind of governs itself. And I hope to see a little bit more shame in the future. Well, thank you both for those thoughts. And we'll end the show on those notes. My thanks go to our panelists, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. Mm-hmm.